We have just finished up the last six weeks talking about what it means to be a Remedy Church member, what it means to, uh, to think about church membership. And then next week we start into our Christmas series, God With Us. And so right now, uh, in this little one week, uh, it, we're going to have a kind of a standalone sermon. Now, uh, I was, usually if you've been here with us for five or six years, you would know what I'm going to talk about. Usually in this one little week we talk about financing, giving, and, and, and what it means to be a, a generous giver based and kind of centered around the gospel. Um, however, uh, really, we're ahead of budget and, and y'all been giving well, but it's the end of the year, so, you know, give it the end of the year, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, and so, and so I, I texted Jack and I was like, hey, I'm trying to figure out what we need to do, this, this standalone, what do you think, um, what, what should we talk about? Let me think about it a little bit. And he texts back. And it had to be because of God, because it's so stinking convicting. Uh, he goes, well, since it's Thanksgiving weekend, we should talk about being thankful and having grateful hearts and having hearts of gratitude. And so I was like, oh, man, texting back, dude, you always pick the stuff that's so convicting. And so um, here we are, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And so I had the pleasure of getting a lot of conviction as I studied this week. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, having grateful hearts for all the things that, that the Lord has done for us. Now, if, if you're like me, cultivating, an on, ongoing cultivation of having a grateful, thankful heart is, is not, does not come easy to me. Um, for some of you, it might be easy, but I find myself uh, not being grateful, not being thankful, which is ridiculous. I mean, I, I know it's ridiculous, um, but that's what we're going to be talking about. So let's pray, and then we'll talk about, uh, talk about that today, what it means to have a, a grateful, thankful heart, um, a heart of gratitude. Let's pray together first. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, even though there's so many times where we fall short, that because of Jesus and the gospel, you have reconciled us and have forgiven of us and continually, by the power of your spirit, remind us that we are righteous in your sight, forgiven. And so I pray for us, Lord, that as we look at your word and we maybe consider our own hearts and think about where we are in regard to being um, the kind of people that should be thankful and grateful that you would, <clears throat> you would reveal to us, Lord, uh, if there's places in our heart that aren't focused on you, giving glory to you, that your spirit would come now and, and convict us and show us. And I pray, God, that for uh, the next, um, I don't know, 45 minutes or so as I speak, that you would fill me, Father, and help me say everything that would be true and pleasing to you and exactly from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, confession, um, this is going to be extremely painful for me. Uh, it's, it's difficult, as I said, to talk about having an ongoing, cultivating, thankful heart because it seems to me, and I know myself better than anybody besides Jesus, and maybe you know yours, that it's something that I desperately need to work on is finding myself being a lot more thankful for what I have and what the Lord has done in my heart uh, and, and in my life and being grateful for it. Um, rather than being ungrateful. And I think that one of the primary ways that this happens is because we don't, as the verses will say here, recount and remember all the things that the Lord has done. So what, we're going to be in Psalm 9. If you have a Bible, you can open up right there in the middle. If you don't have one, reach underneath you and grab one of those and just keep it. It's totally yours. Um, if you have one and you want to uh, give one to your friend, take one of those and, and give it to them. We buy those um, for the purpose of you taking it and keeping it or giving it away to someone. So please take it and give it away. 
But we're going to be in Psalm chapter 9, and I'm going to read. We're going to go ahead and read it all together, kind of so we can get the full context. Uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 12, 13 through 20. Um, I'll talk about it in just a second, but let's look at the verses 1 through 12, and we'll, we'll see the full context of what's going on here. This is Psalm of David, so there are some, some, some things that are not similar to us at all, which we'll get into, but there are, of course, uh, parallels and applications. Verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end and everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. And then verse 13, the commentaries will kind of go different ways. Some say that it's the second part of uh, Psalm 9. Calvin actually says it's not a second part, but it's just a continuation of Psalm 9. And what he does here is goes into a prayer. And so this is after he's talked about kind of those statements of verses 1 through 12. He goes into a prayer, be gracious. It, it feels like, you, you may not know this word, it feels like an imprecatory psalm at this point. Imprecatory means, is, you ever read the psalms and you're reading it and like David's like, just go kill everybody, God. They all deserve it. Just kill them all. And you're like, wait a second, this is a song book and I'm supposed to pray the psalms. So can I apply that for my enemies? Can I, God, just kill the enemies that, uh, that are against me. And I think that's okay because it's in the Bible. That's called an imprecatory psalm. You, you don't know how to handle those, and those are difficult. I don't know how to really handle them. But the idea here in verse 13, as he's going in there, you can just see, as he's, he's, you can read ahead, but you can just see that he's just like, go kill them all, God. They're against me. They're my enemies. I am your king. I am in, as it says, your just cause in the middle of uh, verse four, right there in verse four. So because of that, your God, just go kill him. I'll say what I think we can draw from verse 13 and following, which we're not going to unpack at all today, is he does go to the Lord in prayer after he's talking about having thankfulness, after he talks about being in the midst of trouble. He does go to the Lord in prayer. So it's not just in the midst of trial and trouble that we should go to the Lord in prayer. But even afterwards, when we've seen the faithfulness of God, we need to go to the Lord in prayer as well. That's all I have to say about verses 13 through 20, um, because I have so much to say about uh, verses 1 through 12. So 13 and 20, you can, you can study on your own and try to figure out that in second part or pr- continuing prayer. I agree with Calvin, continuing prayer. Anyway, back to verse 1. So um, we are going to be talking about uh, recounting the, these wonderful deeds that he's done. And we're going to talk about um, having a grateful heart, a thankful heart for what the Lord has done for us. Now, I've just been trying to think a little bit about why it is, at least in my own heart, I don't find myself um, being thankful and grateful as I ought. 
I want to be a grateful person. I want to be a thankful person. I want to, in all circumstances, give thankfulness done to God for things. But it seems like there are are moments when I should be doing that, recounting and remembering all his faithfulness to me and seeing these great blessings of the gospel and things that he's done, but I don't. And I I think, as I've, I've just been thinking about it, the greatest foe or the greatest opponent to us being grateful people is entitlement. We, because of maybe our affluency and the the easy access to so many things, we're so used to getting things that when we don't get them, we feel entitled. We have this kind of ongoing sense of entitlement. Now, uh, I, I noticed it more prevalent, or you'll see it a lot easier if you go out of the country. I went out of the country uh, 2006, I went to Honduras, and we went to, I mean, just some poor, poor, poor areas. We went to one guy's house. Um, his name was William, and he was so happy to host us. I mean, extremely happy. He just had literally four walls, concrete walls, that he had painted kind of aqua blue. Um, and I don't think it would meet American code. There were lots of wires, like, hanging down super low, to where I was wondering, I'm not an electrician at all. I'm thinking, if those things hit me in the head, am I going to, you know, am I going to get fried here? Um, but we think about, like, the conditions that people live in really all over the world. We're, we're so different than the rest of it. And as I'm walking through this, he was so happy to host. Didn't care about what it looked like. Was so happy to just give everything he could to host. He is hosting, hosting a group and had other people over and was just so excited. Gave, gave, gave. I mean, he had hardly anything. And he just gave and gave and gave and gave. And it just seems like they were so happy. So, so happy all the time. And were thankful and grateful for the things they had. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that family. William and his family and this having nothing, wires hanging down, not passing code, but so thankful. And I compare that to my, my children. <laughs> and I just think, wait a second here. Um, these guys seem to f- have such an incredible amount of thankfulness And my children ongoingly seem to not be thankful about things. And I think one of the major differences is my kids really, I mean, and and all of you, including you as an adult and me, we've never really wanted, really, or really, really wanted or needed for things. We know likely that we're all going to walk out here and eat. Um, Because we've never wanted and we never had to feel the the angst of wondering if we're going to get something. And then when something's given to us, having this profound gratefulness that we just got something, like they do in other, in other places all over the world, that we're just so used to it that we feel entitled to it. I should have that. I should have the bigger house, the nicer house, so I can have a nice place for my family to grow up of comfort and ease and, and things and cars and, and the next things. And so I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying that once we feel like we've grown accustomed to that and we feel entitled to it, like if I don't get it, I've set up in my mind that I need that in order to really make it, which I've seen William's family and you don't. Um, I, to really make it, that if I don't, a dem- it becomes a demand in my mind. I, I wanted it and now it becomes subtly a demand. And once it's a demand, whether you would recognize it or not, once it's a demand, you will do anything to get it and you will not be happy until you do. And likely those that don't provide it will be punished and ongoingly you won't have a grateful thankful heart for the things you get i think that that's what's going on in my heart as as jack said let's we should talk about being grateful i think that the whole reason why i was like oh man is because that's what's true of me 
Um, and maybe it's true of you that we operate with an ongoing sense of entitlement, maybe unbeknownst to us. But that's kind of the opponent or the foe of living a life of gratitude, living a life of continual thankfulness. So everything that we're going to say today, these, I'm going to have four instructions regarding uh, gratitude, sincere, heartfelt, ongoing, continual gratitude unto God. Four instructions for that. But we need to realize all that we're going to say in these verses 1 through 12 are all predicated on or find their foundations in the good news of Christ, the gospel. Uh, there's verses we can go to all over. My favorite one is in 2 Corinthians 5. And so I'm going to use that as our, as our springboard to, to uh, help us kind of wrap our mind around the good news of Christ as our, our foundation. And then we'll go and look at uh, why, because of the good news of the gospel, we should be grateful, thankful people. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, I'll start at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I mean, astounding. You are not to be regarded by God anymore because of your sin. Because even though we were once regarded uh, Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no, more, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are brand new creation. The old is past, behold, the new has come. This means the old creation, that's no good. Staying in that mindset of old creation, that's no good. But now that you're in Christ, the old creation has passed. The sinful flesh has passed. And you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Brand new. All sins forgiven. And so as we realize that that's what's happened, the old has passed, the new has come. And all this, this idea of being an old creation into a new, all this comes from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself though he had no obligation whatsoever to. He still did, which is astounding. He reconciled us to himself, and not only did he reconcile him to, to us to himself, then he even, in his extending grace, gives us then the ministry of reconciliation to then go to others and say, the same thing that happened to me can happen to you. You should be reconciled to God. So the only way you're going to, I think, have an ongoing heart of gratitude is to realize that we were, now, we were at one point old creations and now we're new creations. Find yourself in awe of the gospel again. And then we can start talking about what it means then to be grateful unto God for his provision, being grateful unto God for saving us, being grateful unto God for the things that he's given you. Um, so let's look at verse one and you'll see that first instruction. I will give thanks to the Lord. All caps means Yahweh, not Adonai. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. So the first instruction is this, is that gratitude begins in the heart. And notice who it's directed towards. I will give thanks to the Lord. So gratitude, having this, this heart that really wants to be grateful, it, it begins in the heart and must be directed towards God. So we're not just talking about saying that you're thankful for stuff. You know, we can say externally with our mouths, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for that. And that's good. It, it manifests itself out in that, but that's not where it begins. It doesn't just begin here, because we can say anything we want, but it, all, but it all founds its foundations in our heart, and this is why it's key. Just a couple places in the Bible. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 15, 18, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, 
It proceeds from the heart. So whenever we say gratitude begins in the heart, so what you say if you're grateful, that's important. But what's deeper down, your heart is what's most important. The Bible talks all over uh, about the heart kind of being the, the seat of our soul. And so we're, we're to give the, the Lord gratitude with our heart, not just with our mouth. So we need to realize that there's lots of work that has to be done. Because if it's just our mouth, hardly any work has to be done. I can just make sure I say nice things, right? That's pretty simple. Don't say bad things to people. And then people think I'm grateful. But the harder work is to have the right kind of heart. So I'm not just having to watch what I say, but instead, where my heart is, that's where my my treasure is, that's my heart. So if I treasure Christ, I treasure the gospel, I treasure what he's done, then the overflow of that that comes out of my mouth, well, it's not things I have to watch. Instead, it should be thankfulness unto God, thankfulness unto God, thankfulness unto God. But here it gets even more interesting because it begins with the heart and it's directed towards God. Um, Primarily, your gratitude is directed towards God. It's, it's good for you to direct gratitude to your spouse who takes care of you and, and, and nurtures you or um, your brother, your sister whom you love, your parents that raise you, your community that you live in. It's good for you to do that. But primarily, the first person, if you will, that should be the recipient of your abundant gratitude is the Lord. And as you direct it towards Him out of your heart, not just your lips, then it goes to other people. Now, this is where it gets even more tricky because David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So now we're talking about proportion sizes of hearts and we're talking about not just give thanks to the Lord with my heart and I don't have to necessarily think about what that means. But he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So um, let's talk about what it means then as we say gratitude begins in the heart and we're talking about your whole heart and that it must be fully directed unto God. Piper, as he's talking about gratefulness and gratitude, he says, therefore, when gratitude springs up in the human heart towards God, he is magnified. God is magnified as the wealthy source of blessing. God is acknowledged as the giver and the benefactor and therefore as glorious. But when gratitude does not spring up in our hearts at God's great goodness to us, it probably means that we don't want to pay him a compliment or give him the glory. We don't want to magnify him as our benefactor when that doesn't happen to us. And this is, this is where it gets, I think, at least for me, where I said it's going to be painful. This is where the painful part comes for me. He says, and there's a good reason that human beings by nature, so we're talking about our corrupt human nature, by nature do not want to magnify God with thanksgiving and glory him as the benefactor. The reason is, is that it detracts from their own glory. And all people, by their corrupt human nature, love their own glory more than the glory of God. Likely, if you're honest, that's what's true of you. We're just glory lovers for ourselves. And so, when we're told to give thanks to God with our whole heart, not just our heart, but our whole heart. The reason why you and I struggle with that so much is because we love glory for ourselves. Calvin, as he's unpacking this, he, and I think quite convicting through the power of the Spirit, helps us see that this is a big problem, how subtly and how with much ease, I think, we can explain explain away that it's okay that it's not with our whole heart. Um, 
But instead, as long as I just kind of give glory to God and I don't really do the hard work of addressing my whole heart unto him, but maybe there's some vestiges of, of things for me. He says this, um, that we can uh, pretend to ascribe glory to God with our whole hearts. We, he praised God, David praised God with his whole heart, which these other people did not. For certainly, it is not praising God with the whole heart when a mortal man dares then to appropriate or set aside the smallest portion of the glory which God claims for himself. God cannot bear with seeing his glory appropriated by the creature. That's us. Um, in even the smallest degree. So when I say give gratitude unto God with your whole heart, I literally mean every piece of it. Address every avenue, every street corner and cul-de-sac of your heart and do the hard work of deciding, am I doing this with my entire heart? This is what he says. So intolerable is it to God that the sacrilegious arrogance of those who by praising God still obscure his glory for themselves and, and hold on to a piece of it. So Calvin, as he looks at this and he says, it's so important that we give thankfulness unto God with our whole heart. It's sacrilege arrogance if we appropriate even the smallest levels of proportion for ourselves because as Piper says, we're likely to because we love the glory more than we want to give it to God. So as we're talking about this, the first instruction towards gratitude is not just a mouth-watching exercise. Instead, it is a deep, tough work of the heart where we have to really look at everything around us and say, I want my whole heart then to be fully directed unto God first and foremost. And that helps me be a grateful person to other people that I need to be grateful for. And this is, as I'm thinking about, not even the smallest portion of glory can be reserved for me that makes me a glory robber. This is why this is such a painful part to me. is because I don't want this to be true of my life. Ever. I don't ever want to be a glory robber from Yahweh, from our God. Now, this is where um, also I think it's amazing. So if we do the hard work in this first instruction of giving gratitude with our whole heart unto God, recounting, as he says in 1b, recounting all of his wonderful deeds. This is an ongoing, continual reminding of ourselves, recounting these wonderful deeds that he's done for you. And if you would and I would stop for any proportion of time and be honest, we can think of some things. We can easily think of things and then start finding more and then start finding more. We will be able to easily, and it's better if you write it down, at least for me, write down and recount these wonderful deeds he's done for you. Number one, the cross of Christ. And then all the benefits of that that come after it. If we do that, then something happens. Like verse two gives us the fruit that bears from that. So Here's the amazing results of verse 1. If we have gratitude in our hearts that's fully directed towards God with our whole heart, then we will be glad. We will exult in God and we will sing praises to his name. So we see three immediate amazing results right after that where it says that we will be glad. Christians, we should be the happiest people. No one should be happier than us. We're sorrowful yet we're always rejoicing. No one should be happier, though. And I'm not just talking about, 
you know, I'm happy, silly stuff, you know, Clemson, Carolina won, like, yeah, I'm happy about that. I'm talking about a deep, abiding joy, indomitable joy, because we know the living God. We have been saved by him. We understand this sweet message of the gospel and have experienced it first, like firsthand experience of it. We should be the happiest people. If you're not a happy person, if you're the grump, <laughs> the grouch, then it could be you're just not a thankful person. You may think you're a thankful person, but you're probably not. You, are, you operate with a, with a high level of entitlement. There should be gladness. Not only that, there should be exulting. That's a you there. That's not an A. It's a you, exulting. This means that we are glorying in God's glory. We are boasting in it. We are taking, we're reveling in it. We're just taking such an amazing amount of delight and pleasure in God being glorified. That's exulting. It's anytime you're in a conversation, you say, you know what that reminds me of? Jesus. And then you just heap boasts about Jesus for a while because you just can't stop exulting in the glory of Jesus. And you just want to boast about it all the time. Boast about Jesus and what he's done all the time. So we're glad and we're exulters. And then that, as I think Jordan's favorite, results in we're singers. We can't stop. I mean, you can't stop singing praises. You, you're walking around singing Toby Mac songs. Hopefully, maybe even something better than Toby Mac songs. You, you're, you're singing like great, really good stuff. You just can't stop because you're so happy and you love exulting. The thing that primarily is coming from your mouth is, man, I love boasting about Jesus and what he's done on the cross for me. Man, I love how he takes care of me. Man, I love how he's always there for me. And I just want to sing stuff. I, it doesn't even matter if I sing well. I just want to sing anyway. In my car by myself so no one hears. I want to turn it on the bridge or whatever the, the things are. 919 and 104. Like, even listen to those happy, you know, Jesus songs are good for me if it's just instead of silence. Like, I want to sing the praises. And you should download some good music and, and stuff. You want to sing the praises. Breaking out in song. So when we're, when we're singing corporately, you're not standing there like a knot on a log. The gratefulness of the gospel over, that you've been cultivating and doing the hard work of your whole heart has been happening and happening. So when we corporately together, it's just an explosion of, as it says, gladness, exaltation, and singing praises unto his name. And maybe those things aren't happening because maybe you're not a thankful person. You're not truly living and operating daily with this astounding proportion of gratefulness that you should have. And we all should be, me included, far more grateful than we are, I think. Far more. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more, people may increase in thanksgiving, and the glory is given unto God. That's what 2 Corinthians 4.15. Everything is about God. Everything. All things that is anything that has been created are for him and for his glory, including you. Everything that has ever been created, everything, even the seemingly smallest thing, is for God and for his glory. And as 
we start realizing that and we start seeing, including you, that as grace has been then extended to you by Jesus, because you are created by him, you will grow in your gratitude. Your, your thanksgiving will increase. And as your thanksgiving and gratitude increases, then also does the glory of God increase that he receives from us. That's what 1 Corinthians 4.15 is saying. And for it is your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So just realize more often, and I would say continually, the grace that's been extended to you, which makes you a more thankful person, which gives God the glory. And you will stop being, and I will stop being glory robbers, but instead glory conduits, extending it to him. Everything's about him. When you get to verse three, you're gonna see more instructions on, uh, three through eight, more instructions on, on uh, gratitude. It says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. Now, um, we gotta do a little context work. So, so this is David, the king, and as he's writing, He's fighting a war and he's fighting enemies. And he, he, he's saying that because I am God's man and as I'm God's man, the things that I do um, are God's works. You can see, as he says uh, in verse four, you have maintained my just cause. That's a bold statement to make for any human to say, I have the just cause, not you person against me. Because they would say, I have the just cause, not you. This is a, an incredibly bold statement for David to be able to say, no, I have the just cause, not you. And the only way he can say that is because he knows the one and only true God, as it says in verse one, the Lord Yahweh. So therefore, any cause of the only one true God is always just. So as his leader of God's people, he can boldly say, no, I have the just cause. And so as he's dealing in this, in this particular circumstance, which is not for you. You are not in war uh, as the leader of God's people. Even if you fought for America and you've been in war, America, as much as we say it's God's, it's, it's really not, you know, it's, it's not. Like, we know that. Um, but David here is in a different context. And so while we're gonna see some things that are distinct to David, there are parallels as his circumstances are unfolding that do apply to us, certainly. So... What we want to notice here is the foundations of David's gratefulness. The foundations of David's gratefulness. When my enemies turn back, they stumble. They perish before your presence. Or even, note, because of your presence. That's pretty crazy. The presence of God, because he's simply there, causes the enemies to stumble and turn back. Verse 4. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. Notice this. This is crazy. The very memory of them has perished. Who are they? We, we don't even know. Like God smudged them into the ground so far that everybody that lived at that particular time can't even remember their names. We can't even say who they are anymore. Their memories are totally gone. That's how God dealt with them. I mean, that's crazy. You can't do that. I can't do that. So here we're seeing that there's um, some interesting th things that are being shown to us about the Lord. It says, but the Lord sits enthroned. 
He has established his throne in justice. He, he judges the world with righteousness. So let's just notice the language. Notice the language of, of how God is moving, how God is interacting in this particular circumstances. He's making enemies turn back. He's making people pu- perish. He's giving judgment. He's making people, wicked people perish. He's sitting enthroned. That's a big deal. Um, he's judging people with uprightness. He's not, a, he's not an un just judge. He is a just judge. So we see all these characteristics in kind of overflowing about God. And so as we're looking at three through eight, we're going to see then a second instruction for us in regard to gratitude, which is our gratitude must be underpinned or must be established then by the character of God. Characteristics, attributes of God are being displayed in these things that David is kind of recounting. And in this particular war he's in, he's, he's noticing things about him, about God. And so our gratitude then, in our particular times, and our uh, parallels where we're not fighting wars, but there have been times where we can all say, just as David's fighting war, he got to see God's faithfulness, he got to see the things about God, and our times of trouble... We get to see God's faithfulness and we get to see God's character in our times of trouble. So the parallel is, the application's the same. David gets to see God's character and faithfulness in our times of trouble. We also get to see God's character and God's faithfulness. We get to see more things about God's attributes that we didn't presently know had we not gone into the situation of trouble and found ourselves grateful for the Lord's presence. Now, if you're not grateful in the midst of that time of trouble for his presence, you won't get to see the attributes. And so our gratitude must be established or underpinned then by the character of God. So as we see these attributes, we're even more um, established and set then in our gratitude because we've seen things about God. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 3 through 6. I want you to notice the contrast between the way God deals with his own people versus enemies. Verse four, this is what David says God does for his people. You've maintained my just cause. So the only reason this cause is being maintained is because God in his infinite grace is dealing with them in such a way that he maintains their just cause and he gives righteous judgment. So the way he deals with his own people is he maintains, he sustains, he keeps things going. He gives righteous judgments. That's how he deals with his people. However, in contrast, his enemies, the way he deals with the enemies is he makes them turn back. They stumble and perish because of the presence of God. So in our times of trouble, when those things cease, when those things are gone, you fight, yeah. But really, the reason why those things are gone is because God fought for you. His presence was there, and because of his presence... Our, our times of troubles will cease. As it says, the enemies come to ruin. The memory of them perishes. So we're seeing a, a crazy characteristic here of God, the way that he deals with his own people versus the enemies. And the way that he deals with his own people is that God is a the fighter. I, I think I say a fighter in the text. God is the fighter for us. That's evident in verses three through six. In any of your circumstances of trial and tribulation and troubles, the fighter is God, not you. It's God. Now here's the key. That's an attribute of God that's bubbling up to the surface that we get to see about him. Only is it ascertained or noticed if we have grateful hearts in the middle of those troubled times. If we're just 
rebelling against it, where I don't like it, I don't like that this happened to me, then we will never get to see this amazing attribute of God kind of come to the surface, which is God is the fighter for you in this time of trouble. He is the one that will maintain you. He is the one that will sit before you as the righteous judge. So we get to see, that's why I say our gratitude is underpinned, established by the character of God. We get to see these things as we have grateful hearts. There's another one. There's a second one right here in verse 7. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. This throne language in any, in any place in the Bible is talking about how God is the king. He is the king. We've got kings, and I've said this before. We've got kings all over. I don't know how many there are in the world. 100, 200 kings all over. They, they take their plot of land and they think they're awesome because they've got, you know, 400 miles of land that no one does anything unless they say so until you walk right outside of it and then you got the next plot and no one we got Putin he's got a huge area right but no one does anything unless he says so it seems like but you just got to walk right out of it but here's the deal God has a throne and every one of those things he's the rule over the entire world and solar system and galaxy his throne's over everything I rule this little tiny little stinking ball, and everything else. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. And when that guy dies, he's kicked off the throne and the next guy comes in. But God is never dethroned, ever, ever. So here we see the Lord sits enthroned, so forever. So we, we don't need to just kind of halfway think about this reigning of God. So our gratitude must be intertwined, established by the character of God. A second attribute we get to see, the, the attribute or characteristic we get to also see, the more we're grateful is that God reigns. God calls the shots. He's in charge. He is the one that is making all things happen. This is how Calvin says it. I love this. However high the violence of men may be carried, and although their fury may burst forth without measure, they can never drag God from his seat. No one dethrones God. Not even God dethrones God. Calvin says, It is impossible for God to abdicate the office and authority of judge of throne, of the, from the throne. Because he is God... He will always be there forever, and he cannot even abdicate that. He has to always remain there throned. And in the midst of troubles and trials, the more you cling to him, the more you're grateful for him, and cultivate more and more a heart of gratitude, you get to see God fight for you, and you get to see God be the, the ruler and reigner in the one throned. So it finds its foundations and established on the character of God, our gratitude, I'm not fighting, God's fighting. And he rules and reigns over everything. As it says, the Lord sits enthroned. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. And therefore, that means as he judges us because of the cross, his, just, his judgments are correct because Jesus took all of our punishment and we don't have to. And the old creation is truly a new creation. So those are the couple things that we've seen so far and his character is shown to us as absolutely worthy of thankfulness and gratitude. So, having trouble, being grateful. Are we? Then let's lean into and see more of the attributes and the characteristics of God. and Who he is 
truly. And that cultivates for us a deeper heart of gratitude. So the two things that we saw, saw so far is we've got to do the hard heart work. We've got to do the real deep down work of being thankful. It's not just talking. Instead, it's our heart. And one of the other ways that we know that that happens is the more we're thankful, the more we get to see and know God more intimately and more deeply on a heartfelt, knowing his attributes level. Now, as we go into verse 9, we're going to take a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a turn in, in specificity. He's going he's to talk about our gratitude with a little bit more specific language. Um, you can see it in verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have, have not forsaken those who seek you. So here we see the Lord is a stronghold or, or a refuge is another way to tra- translate that word for the oppressed or literally the poor. Um, he's a stronghold in times of trouble. That, that stronghold in times of trouble is uh, he's a... He's a protection, like a defensive protection whenever we have times of trouble. Troubles come our way. He is the frontmost defender for us, being there for us. And so as we see this, um, we know going back to uh, verse 1b that we're supposed to recount all of his wonderful deeds. In verse 9, it's showing that there are moments in the lives of Christians where opposition in times of trouble come. And so in the midst of those, as that happens, and even afterwards, what we need to do then is um, remember and recount specifically in the midst of it how the Lord has already been a refuge for us in times of trouble, how he's already come and been the defending protector of us. I'm sure, I'm positive that all of us can say, the Lord has been faithful to me in times of trouble. Think of it. Think of the last three, four, five years. Can you recount anything right now where the Lord has been? Now, I'm only talking to Christians here, okay? This is to believers. Unbelievers, the Lord certainly has been kind to you because you're breathing right now. He's been kind to me because I'm breathing right now. But I'm talking to Christians right now because the Christians know more than anybody when we say, the name and the renown of the Lord extend to the highest heavens. We understand that greater because we're his children. So think of times that the Lord has been faithful to you. Recount, recount in your head those times of trouble where the Lord has been there for you. I think that it's very easy to forget these times. The moment we're out of it, one week later, a circumstance happens to us and all of a sudden we can't believe this has happened and we've immediately forgot like all the things that he's been good to us and how he's been grateful. And I think that forgetting makes us ungrateful. Forgetting uh, um, how he's been good causes us to move over into the side of entitlement rather than gratitude. Therefore, the third instruction is that gratitude can be fostered by remembering and recounting specifically when the Lord has been a refuge for us in times of trouble. This means ongoing, continually. You should, 
as you see verse 10, remember over and over when the Lord, Yahweh, God, the only one true God, has been a stronghold for you in your time of oppression. He has been a stronghold in your times of trouble. You should write these down because we're so easy to forget. You could, if you sat for, by yourself and you didn't pull out your cell phone for 15 minutes, you could, I bet, make a list of 20. And that would be good for you. Because the next time you start feeling entitled instead of grateful, pull out that list and say, oh man, that's right. Wow. Recount, remember, recount, remember, recount, remember. I need to be the kind of person that recounts and remembers. Here's why. Here's why. If we do that, as it instructs us in verse 9, if we do that to be the kind of people that when he delivers us, we continually, ongoing, recount and remember and give thanks then the fruit of this, the fruit of the heart that does this is verse 10. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who have experienced this ongoing recounting and remembering of God's faithfulness in their lives, they put their trust in God. The more you remember what he's done, the more you're going to trust him. Calvin says it this way. We start acquiring increasing confidence in his grace because his grace is there. It's already there. It's just that we don't trust it. But the more we recount, then we have and acquire an increasing confidence in that steadfast grace. So the more you remember and you recount continually over and over, the more you trust him. And if we're working backwards in this verse 10, when we trust him, we know his name. To know his name is not just, I know what to call him. Like, I know his name. His name's Fudd. I can call him Fudd. Hey, Fudd, he looks. See, I know his name. That's not what we're talking about. Yes, we know his name. He is the great I am. But knowing his name is not just knowing what to call him. Calvin says knowing his name is far deeper than that. Not just Calvin, but many people. But as Calvin says it, he says, knowing his name means that we are privy to his character and his works in a way that no one else is. As I just said, so when David says, the earth is full of his glory, we know his name. We can see his name everywhere in the earth. As it says, um, the earth is full of his glory and his renown reaches to the heavens. We can literally, in a way that no one else can say, I understand his renown reaching to the heavens because I trust him more, I have... I'm acquiring an increasing growth in his steadfast grace that's always there. And I know his name now. I know so much more about him. I I know what to call him, certainly. But I also know him. I know his character. I know his works. And conversely, he knows me more deeply and intimately than anyone. And I know him, conversely, back more deeply and more intimately than I ever have. I know him. I know who he is. I know vastly more things about him. And that's important when we're talking about God. The more you know about God, I don't think, I think it's impossible for you to not fall more in love with him. Be more in awe of his grandeur and grace, but also not just his magnitude, but his amazing intimacy. I mean, it it took the, the Jews by utter surprise when the Lord, when Jesus said the Lord's prayer when he said, our father, 
who art in heaven, talking about his vastness and his magnitude, but he called him Father. No Jew had ever referred to, you look through the Old Testament, they don't call him Father. They call him Yahweh, Lord, Adonai. They call him these things. The king, the ruler, the big guy. I mean, huge. And then Jesus says, but you can also know him as intimate Father. You know his name. What does that mean? If you just look back one psalm, you get a little bit more insight on what it means to know his name. Psalm 8.1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we're not just talking about what we call people. We're talking about the majestic name of God that goes in all the earth for all time. His majestic name is resounding in 2014 over the entire globe. And not just 2014, but from eternity past to eternity future. It's always resounding at the same volume. Full max. Full game. We know that majestic name. That's, that's interesting language when we're talking about a name. And you know his name. And this is where the very end of 10 gets absolutely crucial in the times of trouble. Because you know his name, you have an ever-increasing confidence in his grace, and you trust him. And then when you hear this promise in 10b, you, you don't shirk at it as, oh, that's not a big deal. You hear, for you, O Lord, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. Some of you maybe have felt an abandonment. You felt the actual experience of what it feels like to be abandoned by somebody. Just don't want you anymore. You're no good to me anymore. God, the one that you can know his name is telling you, I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. And as you trust me more, and as it says here, you seek me, you'll even have more confidence that I will never forsake you. And as that grows in your heart, there's no way you can't grow in your gratitude and thankfulness to God. There's just no way. You're seeing more and more of the characteristics. Therefore, you want to, as I've said in this one, recount more and remember more and write down more on this awesome long list that if you kept would be longer than you could ever imagine by the end of your life. Recounting and remembering specifically when the Lord has been a stronghold and a refuge for you in your times of trouble. You'd make a list that you couldn't even, you'd be amazed. It's painful for me. Painful. Man, I want to be a grateful person. I want this to be so true of me. I, I want to be the kind of person that exults and boasts in because I know his name and I see it. It's majestic all over the earth. And it brings me great joy to sing about it. Brings us into verse 11. Thus far, it, it seems like all the gratitude talk, all the gratitude language that we've used is all individualistic. It's all heartfelt, inside my head, inside my heart, don't say it out loud, work on myself kind of language, right? Right? Thus far, that's what it feels like. 
I need to do the hard work. I need to make sure that when I say things, it's directed unto God. So we're talking about this. Not a whole lot of people involved. And I sing. I, I've sing to, I don't sing to people. Oh, you're awesome. They think I'm weird. I sing to God. Like, God, I, pr- I trust you. I worship you. You have made these promises. You won't forsake or abandon me. It just seems like everything's kind of an internalized, individualistic understanding of gratitude. And it is, but man, this, this last one I think is absolutely crucial. Sing praises to the Lord who sits on enthroned in Zion. Notice 11b. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Fourth instruction, and this is crucial to your gratitude. Gratitude should be done in community as well. The recounting and remembering of your thankfulness unto God for what he's done should be, must be, not only done in an individual, you know what I mean, by yourself, heartfelt thoughts, minds, process, but it has to be extended out saying, and I'm being, I'm being specific here, I'm not saying you're showing gratitude to them. You should do that, but you're having a recounting of your gratitude to God in front of them. That's different. Your, your gratitude's still directed towards God. You're not, you know, I'm not saying be grateful to them, which you should be. I'm saying be grateful to God out loud to them. There's a big difference. Tell among the peoples, where am I? Tell among the peoples his deeds. So your gratefulness should be done in community. We, we do this every year at Thanksgiving, which is, I know, once a year, FUD, you can do that much better. Lead your family better. Rebuke taken. But every Thanksgiving, we sit around the table and we start with the youngest and we go around all the way to the oldest and we say what we're grateful for. And so if you can talk, then you get to go first, you know, if you're the youngest. And it's just the first thing you see, I'm grateful for turkey and macaroni and cheese. You know, like me too. Those things are awesome. Um, But turkey, why do we use turkey? Anyway, um, it should be steak. Anyway, uh, as, as the ages increase, then we see significantly greater things that are, that are said, right? I'm thankful for this family. You know, I, I'm thankful that I have a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters, or I'm thankful for the gospel, that all my sin has been forgiven. And getting to my family, you know, my parents, and hearing them talk about, you know, as they're into their 70s, just how the Lord's been good to them. It's, it's amazing. Thankfulness in community does something to our hearts. It does something. It's, it's absolutely key. What would your community group look like if you practice gratitude in community? Thus far, it just seems like all kind of an individualistic effort so, so far. But tell among the peoples his deeds. Practically, you may in your head say you're thankful for stuff. But other people, most likely your family and your community that you're in, need to hear you say these things out loud. And it's not just um, for your benefit that you're being obedient to this text. (laughs) But also, as it says in verse 12, for their benefit. Notice what it says in verse 12. As you practice community, or practice gratitude in community, it says... For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. God's mindful of them. The only problem is 
they need to know that. Verse 12b, because God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. As you've been brought through the trouble and in community, you practice this, which I'm hopefully you are. Practice this gratitude in community. As you're being obedient, you're not the only recipient of or beneficiary here that God has been so good to me. I'm growing in my heart of gratefulness. However, likely in that midst of 12, 15, as you've been brought through the trouble, some of them are still in the midst of the trouble and they need to know that the Lord is mindful of them and he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So as you talk about the Lord's faithfulness to me, they hear that and they say, he's going to be faithful to me. He's going to remember my cry. And so your gratitude and community benefits you and benefits others. It encourages them also to hope in him in the midst of their trouble. So giving thanks in community is for others' benefit as well, not just your own, to cultivate this grateful heart you know you're supposed to have. I know I'm supposed to have. So, as we think about these things, where do you need to be more mindful? Perhaps your, your gratitude is not done with your whole heart. Perhaps it's not even done with your heart. It's just done with your mouth. But it's not done with your whole heart. You appropriate glory for yourself. Do the hard work of rooting that out, putting it to death. Perhaps... Um, as gratitude is bubbling up into your heart and life, you're, not, you're just not keenly aware of these this great insights into the en- enormous, huge, astounding attributes of God. As we see in this text, we see too. We see that God's a fighter for us and God reigns. But there's, there's multiple more attitudes and or, um, attributes of God that you can see if you're, if you're more grateful. Perhaps you just don't at, continually, daily, recount and remember his wonderful deeds and you need to do that more you just need to be disciplined you need to be disciplined more often to recount and remember so that you don't live in a sense of entitlement but instead you live a sense a sense of gratitude and thankfulness or maybe the last one gratitude has never been a community thing for you Your family's never heard you give gratefulness unto God for his deeds in your life. Your community has never heard you. They hear you complain about things. You don't have the next thing or the thing you want or your life's always bad. It could mean you're not a grateful person. But maybe you need to practice gratitude corporately so that this amazing thing happens that they who are in the midst of trouble can then Remember that God is mindful of them. So that's what we're going to do. Verse 11. We're going to sing praises. Verse 11 says, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned. God sits on the throne over every inch of this galaxy, world, universe, solar system. And he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our gratitude. And so, let's think about those things. But let's stand right now in this entire space of worship. Even though it's, we always do an extended after the sermon. Let's stand and give him glory throughout the entire worship set.
because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of our thankful, grateful hearts. Let's stand and I'll close this in prayer. And Jordan will lead us in a time of song. God, thank you so much for your love and mercy toward us in Christ. God, I pray that you would come now and inhabit the praises of your people and cause us in our heart to be captured by you. We wouldn't care about what we sound like when we sing. We'd take the, the distractions of the day, of the week, and send them away in our minds and give you the glory that you are due right now as we sing praises in the congregation unto Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.